Welcome to Wisconsin in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Cole McNeely. Coming up, we'll take a quick look at one of the top stories from TheCenterSquare.com and later regional editor of The Center Square, Bruce Walker, and Wisconsin reporter Benjamin Yount will take a deeper dive into some of the top stories of the week happening in the Badger State. Coming up right after this on Wisconsin in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at TheCenterSquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Get the news that you need to know at TheCenterSquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com, thecentersquare.com. The University of Wisconsin system doesn't want to lose its federal grant money, so everyone who works there is going to have to get vaccinated. On Wednesday, University of Wisconsin President Tommy Thompson said the school will comply with President Biden's mandate that all federal contractors require their employees to be vaccinated. Thompson cited the potential loss of millions of dollars in federal contracts as a driving factor. Thompson did not put a price tag on just how much money the university gets in federal money each year. To read more about this story and many others, visit thecentersquare.com. Now, for a closer look, it's Bruce Walker and Benjamin Yount. Thank you, Cole. Hello, and welcome to this week's Wisconsin in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for The Center Square. My guest, as always, is Wisconsin reporter Benjamin Yount, and we're recording this conversation on Thursday, October 28, 2021. Good afternoon, Ben. Good afternoon. It is always fun to sit and talk about Wisconsin. If we don't write about it enough, it's always fun to sit and talk about it for an extra half hour a day. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm sure people are as excited to talk to you or listen to you talk about it as I am to talk to to you about it. And, uh, uh, you know, let's start out a little bit by just talking about the big events coming up this weekend. We discussed maybe, you know, Halloween last week, but uh, we also, I'm, I'm in Michigan, so I'm kind of geeked for the Michigan State University-Michigan game Saturday afternoon. There are some very good Big Ten football games this weekend. The, the University of Wisconsin has risen from the dead. Uh, they, they, they host Purdue for homecoming weekend. It is, I, I, I love college football, and I love the idea of going to games, but it's going to be rainy and in the 50s in Madison this weekend, so I've got a great seat picked out on my couch. 75 inches of high def television in front of me and I can make the brats behind the uh behind the garage and 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 not miss any of the game it'll be uh it'll be a lot of fun but no the, the very good big 10 season so far as long as the SEC doesn't win then I think we can all agree we we, we are happy well we have uh well Michigan State University of Michigan they're both uh undefeated as of yet so only one can go home victorious and uh, the only one I'm I'm pretty excited for my alma mater, Michigan State. So, well, as, as long as somebody beats Ohio State, that's that's really what I want. I just Ohio State can lose more. I'm 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 pro Ohio State losing. Well, I don't want to alienate any of uh, our coworkers in the Ohio area. JD seems to be a uh, uh, pretty solid fella, but I don't want to get on his bad side. I think he's taller than I am, and he's got a longer reach. 
So let's let's before we jump into discussing some of the stories that we've selected for discussion today, uh, there's some breaking news going on yeah. in Wisconsin. And, and why don't you give us the skinny on that? Well, this is this is one more piece of the investigation into last year's election. This comes out of Racine County, where the sheriff earlier this morning presented evidence that not only were people who were working in nursing homes filling out ballots for the folks who live there, some of whom are mentally, cognitively just simply not there, the sheriff said he had a memo from the Wisconsin Elections Commission directing these workers to fill out those ballots. That is a, as many commentators have said, a direct and obvious violation of election law. It could be a felony. This is an important story because this is the first time a law enforcement agent, a law enforcement agency in the state of Wisconsin has come forward with proof of voter fraud. Up till now, it was questions about the opportunity for voter fraud. This is a sheriff, a, a duly elected law enforcement official, coming forward with what he says is clear and convincing evidence of fraud. Now, just who is going to be on the hook for this and, and what the fallout is, that remains to be seen. As you know, as we talk about all the time, as I think we're going to probably talk about a little bit in, in, during this episode of the podcast, you have the election investigation in the Senate. You have the election investigation, two election investigations in the uh, state assembly. And now you have this investigation from the sheriff in Racine County. It, 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 this is all building towards something. Uh, we don't quite know what the, the call from the sheriff was today for the attorney general to get involved. I don't expect that to happen, but uh, this is certainly a story that we are going to be writing about over at the Center Square. And I imagine, just looking into my crystal ball, Bruce, I just imagine <laughs> that this is a story we may be talking about on next week's episode uh, as we see the the reaction to this uh, breaking news from today. Well, great. Look forward to uh, reading more on that, uh, Ben. So last week, uh, we had to cut it a little bit short. We had just kind of skimmed the surface of the education topic that we were uh, currently discussing. And uh, the latest test scores in Wisconsin seems to show that there's a bit of a lag. And I'm sure that a lot of that is probably due to the interruption due to uh, something that uh, has been on everybody's mind for the past two years, and that's COVID. So um, what do you have to report on that? Well, we, as, as you know, these stories happen, you, you get the report, you, you, you write the report there, there's some immediate reaction to the report. And then you have, you know, the lawmakers, you have education officials, you have nonprofit leaders, you have think tanks, you have all of the people that, that, that make up the ecosystem of the state capital. They take some time to digest it. And then, then you get a better sense as to what's going on. And, and yeah, just just a reminder for anybody who doesn't want to go back and, 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 and listen or, you know, doesn't take notes during these podcasts. How dare you not take notes during these podcasts? You should I know I do. Stuff. I know. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, but the, 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 the grades that came back, the test scores that came back were lacking down uh, about they were they were down across the state and and the 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 takeaway is that 
you know, about a third of students are where they should be in reading and math. The scores are a little bit better when it comes to social studies and science, but still you're talking about 52% of kids who are proficient at best. And that doesn't even get to the, to the fact that, that you had a, a huge drop in the number of students taking this test. Overall, you know, 13% of kids in public schools just opted out. The thinking is that those were the kids who would have done the worst on these tests. In schools like Madison and Milwaukee, the, the opt-out rate was nearly 50%. So Madison schools actually had better test scores during the year of coronavirus than they usually would because, again, they had so many students who wouldn't be able to pass the test, drop out, take the test, say, we're not going to take the test, opt out of, of the, the, the test. Uh, you know, Brookfield Senator Dale Coyenga, who is one of the leading voices, not just for education, but for education reform in the Wisconsin Senate, uh, said that, that this is failing kids. It's not just kids failing the test. It is schools failing kids. The, the, the quote that we used, some schools and districts have maintained their focus, but others, especially those with strong teacher union influence, have abandoned even the core functions required to deliver students an education. And it's a pretty damning indictment that you have a lot of schools in the state that, that weren't doing well before. I mean, again, you, you had nearly two thirds of kids usually who aren't where they're supposed to be. But when you have test scores fall, as well as the number of students taking that test fall, you know something's not right. And Koyenga was was very, very quick to to jump on and, and point it out and, and, and say what the, the folks over at the Department of Public Instruction, DPI, wouldn't say. This is not just a test. This is a snapshot of what local schools are doing. And many local schools in Wisconsin, Koyenga said, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, what does he recommend as uh, a cure for this or school choice? <laughs> oh, OK, all right. He's, he's, he is he is a big proponent of school choice uh, because as, as he has said, well, does for, he have numbers to support that? Uh, he does. He does not necessarily have any test scores that show choice schools did better. Those numbers have not come out yet. Uh, but he did point to he, the, the, the other quote that we have here in the story. This is why you're seeing school choice growing at the greatest rate in U.S. history. He said policymakers need to continue to empower parents who want to utilize schools that are executing effectively. And while you saw, you, you know, we had a, a, a flurry of education statistics come out last week. And the test scores were were the later part of the week, the earlier part of the week, we saw enrollment figures. And enrollment figures showed, again, a drop in traditional public schools, particularly in places like Milwaukee and Madison, which learned from home the longest. And while you saw those numbers drop, I mean, sharply, 60,000 fewer students in Milwaukee public schools since before the coronavirus began, you saw a spike in charter school school choice school, private school enrollment, particularly among kids with disabilities. That jumped 24% during the coronavirus. And Koyenga is one to go A to B to C, that parents are deciding what is best for their kids. Parents are taking a look at what their kids are learning, aren't learning, how they are learning, and they are making the decision 
to leave. And, and, and Koyenga has said for years that school choice is not just an issue about grades or taking your, your, your child to a, to a private school, perhaps even, even something with a Catholic education. He, he frames it in a civil rights issue. The, the, today's civil rights battle, this should be today's civil rights battle, he said. You're not going to hear about it because the left controls the narrative and the schools that are failing to deliver an education uh, and fail to offer hope to communities. He has been a strong supporter of school choice, particularly for kids in Milwaukee or Madison or Green Bay, Racine, Kenosha. Those are the five biggest cities here in Wisconsin. And those are many times when you take a look at test scores, five of the cities that do the absolute worst in the state. So yeah, Dale, Dale Koyenga, who's, who's from Brookfield, which have some of the best public schools in the state, is an unabashed supporter of school choice. Anytime you ask, what, what's, what's your solution for this? He will undoubtedly tell you, school choice, attach the money to kids, let parents have the choice for the education that best suits their children. Okay, well, let's move along a little bit. Uh, we're... Uh have a bit of a time crunch here and uh, we did spend some time talking about schools of choice last week so let's talk a, a little bit uh you put up a story yesterday regarding the wisconsin department of health services stonewalling requests for answers about booster shots in the state yeah so and elaborate on that amazingly uh this story's been up 24 plus hours and I still have not heard back from the Department of Health Services. This really just started as, as, as so many things do uh, from, you know, newsrooms. You just send out the note and say, hey, I just looking for this, just looking for this information, just trying to circle back on this. And it was how are we how are we recording these or how how are we recording these these numbers? Are, are, are we going to count people fully vaccinated if they are three shots, two shots? How many booster shots have we? Have we ordered? Is there going to be a spot on the website to track this? Because again, the Wisconsin Department of Health Services, their coronavirus vaccine website is actually very effective. They they track you know how many doses based on which provider. They track racial numbers. They track age numbers. They they even track in many cases uh, regional numbers. It's it, it's very informative, but there's been zero answers about booster shots, and it was. It was five questions, four questions. Are we going to require people to get boosters to be considered fully vaccinated? How many boosters have we administered so far? Is there going to be any kind of daily or weekly tracking? And do we have a, a dose count for boosters? How many boosters have already been administered? And and nothing. Crickets. Not even a, hey, we'll get back to you, or we, we don't know. It It is silence from the Department of Health Services and Brett Healy over at the MacGyver Institute who has done a fantastic job throughout the, the outbreak of tracking DHS's data, because it, to be a good data scientist, you have to be dedicated at it. And they've got some very dedicated people over there. And they've tracked as the numbers have moved up. They, they predicted problems with how DHS was counting cases long ago. They, they, they tracked the retractions and silent changes to cases and deaths and, and, and all along the ways. And so I reached out to, to Brett Healy, the president over there, and, and he said, once again, DHS is refusing to answer basic questions about a major policy change that taxpayers deserve to have answers first. And, and he, he, ended, he ended his quote, he, we ended the story with, with the quote, if public servants can't or won't answer a few basic questions, it begs the question, what are they hiding? 
And this this gets back to the conversation that a lot of people had on Twitter when I posted the story there, that it was either that DHS doesn't know, they don't have these answers, or they don't feel the need to share it. And that's the problem. That's that's the problem that lawmakers are going to, to want to solve. The, the conversations I've had with several lawmakers over the past year, they're frustrated as well with silence from the Evers administration, not just on booster numbers or coronavirus numbers, but there's an awful lot of silence from the Evers administration's departments. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes another question that somebody at the Capitol in Madison starts asking of somebody in the Evers administration. Hmm. Okay. Well, we, we teased a little bit at the, the top of the podcast about uh, discussing the Wisconsin election and the investigations thereof and that there was an actually an audit that found some serious issues in the 2020 vote. Yeah, this is this is the, the story again that, that that keeps on giving. It was the Legislative Audit Bureau for those keeping score at home, which is different because it is not a partisan outfit. This is not Republican lawmakers. This is this is not even as we talked at, at the very beginning of this episode. This isn't a sheriff who, while elected, is is elected as as a part of a party. This is a completely as inside the Capitol agency as you can get. And they found dozens of problems, dozens of areas where either election managers at the Wisconsin Elections Commission or county clerks didn't follow state law, skirted it, could be a way to describe it. Or they found another more than a dozen areas where they recommended that lawmakers come back and and craft new laws, clear up state statute, clarify statute, as they put it, uh, change or, or, or make clear in the law what can and can't be done things like absentee voting, ballot drop boxes, the role of this Mark Zuckerberg-funded Center for Tech and Civic Life. These were the issues that came down. And this this was a really interesting story because not only is the audit 168 pages and it exposed a lot of technical information, but you had two immediate takeaways. Democrats in the state said, well, the audit shows that the election was safe and secure. And it doesn't change the outcome. So we've been vindicated. And Republican lawmakers said, wait, hold on, this found serious questions. It has been made very clear that the Wisconsin Election Commission, at the at the best, ignored state law, at the worst, willfully violated it. So while we got more evidence that there was something that happened in 2020, just what that evidence shows, well, that, that really comes down to the political split of the per, of the people offering that evidence and the people reading that evidence. But uh, yeah, this, this audit prompted the Wisconsin Senate to say, okay, well, now we're going to open our own investigation. And that investigation includes a look, according to the Senate Majority Leader, at the future of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. So this audit could be the catalyst for change when it comes to how elections are run in this state, probably in 2024, because I don't imagine the current governor would sign anything that would get rid of WEC. But uh, this audit is, is going to carry some weight, not just this week, not just this year, but for years to come. Right. Well, um, I have your story right in front of me. And uh, in it, you write that there, the auditors made 30 recommendations to WEC and 18 recommendations to lawmakers. And this was after surveying 1,835 clerks in Wisconsin's 72 counties Mm -hmm. and examined 
only 14,710 absentee ballots in 30 cities or counties. Yeah, this this was this was one of the contentions is that the city clerk in Madison, because you have to remember, you have either city clerks or local elections commissions or county clerks, 72 counties. That's how you have 1,835 clerks in 72 counties, because you, you have this, this massive local election management web. And all of them were asked, not everybody responded. The city of Madison and Milwaukee County, if you read the audit report, didn't fully cooperate, though Milwaukee County says we gave auditors everything they looked for. We just wouldn't let them look at the ballots, handle the ballots. Uh, the clerk of Madison is is defending it, saying, well, I, I was I was right through the interpretation of federal election law to not cooperate with this audit. But Republicans are, are once again pointing out that the city of Mil or the city of Madison and Milwaukee County, which make up almost 20 percent of the vote in the state, didn't fully cooperate with these auditors. And you got to remember that the, the margin of victory in Wisconsin for Joe Biden was only 21,000 votes. And so this is, again, this is as, as State Rep. Janelle Branchin, who is running one of the investigations in the state assembly, has said for months, it's not about overturning the election. It's about exposing the opportunity for fraud and then closing those loopholes going forward. And that's why this audit is going to weigh heavy at the Capitol, because it is an independent, nonpartisan report that exposes many of the things that Republicans have been saying are clear opportunities for voting fraud. OK, well, one one aspect that might uh, be confusing to listeners and I must confess that it's somewhat confusing for me, is what is the role of the group that Mark Zuckerberg is behind? Well, this is a brand new group in 2020. It didn't exist in 1990. It didn't exist in 2000. It didn't exist all the way up until the 2020 election and the run-up to the 2020 election. It's the, the Center for Tech and Civic Life. It is officially a nonpartisan group, a uh, an outside nonprofit that wanted to help with get out the vote efforts. And as we reported earlier this year, back in, in January, and as, as Matt Kittle over at Wisconsin Spotlight has done a phenomenal job of reporting, this group essentially came in and promised to give cities, counties money to help with their election operations. The devil turned out to be in the details. And the big allegation is that up in Green Bay, this Center for Tech and Civic Life brought in one of its administrators, one of its campaign workers, one of its one of its people, and they all but took over the vote count, the vote operation in the city of Green Bay, so much that the clerk there resigned in protest. And you're starting to get into questions of somebody who doesn't work for the government, somebody who has no real legal reason to be in the vote count room, to have access to voter rolls, to be able to take a look at at, at what the, the real-time numbers are on election day. Now, of course, you can go in as just regular old Jimmy voter, and you can observe the vote count. In fact, that, 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 is, that is a crucial part of how democracy works in the United States. The allegation against the, you know, CTCL, Center for Tech and Civic Life, CTCL, is that they went beyond that and that they used Zuckerberg's money to influence voting, to, again, this is the question of curing ballots, the exceptionally high uh, number of ballots that were not rejected. Usually it's uh, about 2%. This time it was less than 1%. 
CTCL is accused of buying its way into the Wisconsin Five, Milwaukee, Madison, Green Bay, Racine, and Kenosha, which are the five largest cities and also the five most democratic cities, and then being murky, I think is the easiest way to explain it, murky with how they worked with local election officials and, and what they actually did. And again, Green Bay is, is the most obvious example because we have leaked emails that show that. The investigation in the Assembly, both investigations in the Assembly, as well as the investigation in the Senate, are going to look hard at just what the relationship was between this Mark Zuckerberg group and the local officials. They're seeking emails. This is this is the key to the Mike Gableman uh, investigation. They're seeking all of the emails. They want to know who was saying what. And as NFL fans know, once you get a treasure trove of emails, you never know what's going to pop out. John Gruden lost his job because of the investigation into the Washington football team. So th this investigation into the Wisconsin Five and the Center for Tech and Civic Life, this again could become very, very interesting. And this is why we are going to be talking about the investigation into the 2020 election here in Wisconsin, certainly up until the election of 2022 and maybe into the election of 2024. Well, okay then. I think that's about all the time we have for this week. I'd like to thank you, Ben Yount, for all of your journalistic insights. Well, it's, uh, as always, it is so much fun. Well, until next week, I'm Bruce Walker, the Center Square Midwest Regional Editor. You can find all of our editorials and podcasts at thecentersquare.com, thecentersquare.com. Thank you for listening and tune in again next week.